Um, are you happy to jump right in? Um, yes, let me just. <laughs> it's always good to take like a big breath and just be like, ah. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit nervous, but I think it's like excitement, a nervous thing. So yeah, just a bit anxious. So. I'm a little nervous too. I get nervous every time. It's never, it never just like comes naturally. It's always a little bit like, and admit into the Zoom. I think that um, as long as I just try not to talk too quickly, it should be okay. kind of okay podcast where we talk about things that aren't okay in hopes of making them feel more okay i'm sarah crossley creator of it's kind of okay comics and the growing pains mean an independent publication featuring rad women and non-binary creatives start of this episode uh while our emotional connection was great our audio connection was not and i'm not an audio engineer but i have edited to the best of my abilities so just listen with you know a little bit of slack a little bit of patience a little bit of acceptance for the only kind of okay audio quality i'm here today with vari mccauley who helped start Ventner Exchange, is the co-runner of the Ventner Fringe Festival, and overall is an empowering and rad human being. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Oh, thank you so much. What's feeling kind of okay for you today? Um, kind of okay is that it's my day off, so I have been able to spend it with my partner. Um, we're in lockdown, so can't do anything <laughs> goodness yeah that's a little bit a little bit tricky and we were just talking a little bit before about a little bit of a business shift from being quite busy to yeah not <laughs> um but still you know keeping on trucking as much as you can um can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do maybe what the vendor exchange is i uh, will try to explain it um as it's a bit of a weird and a wonderful organism of a organization um so we are an arts organization on the isle of wight which is on the south coast of england um and we are classed as a small organization but the place where we are is very small so we do tend to affect quite a lot of the community which is is great in that way um we run events we have a theater uh we have workshops in all creative uh kind of areas so uh, people can come in and do um like water could do ukulele class they can learn a language they can just meet and do networking co-working um then it's also a bar it's a cafe it's lots of things it's also a record shop so uh, yeah it's it's just basically trying to be a creative hub for our community which is a um like a victorian seaside town so very seasonal um 
was very much probably had its kind of golden age um, quite a long time ago and trying to sort of bring people back um, and people to stay in the area. Uh, a lot of people on the Isle of Wight, they'll often leave, um, like a lot of rural places. And we're just trying to get a bit more of a cultural regeneration going so that people don't, um, people kind of appreciate where they live more and don't have to go find it somewhere else. That's it. <laughs> That's a really nice way of putting it, actually. And I, from living on the Isle of Wight for three years and like going to the Ventnor Exchange and having that as the creative space. And it was just like, oh yeah, like this is what, you know, like I think a lot of people, especially teenagers and stuff like that, what I heard from everybody's experience is on the island is they would have to get a ferry, go over to Southampton, go into London to try and find those spaces. So that's really cool that you're creating that central central nervous system of an art community. It, yeah, it's not, it doesn't do everything that it, um for everyone it's not like a kind of one-stop shop but it, it it's somewhere where things could happen so it's kind of like a little instigator and people can bark off each other or you might meet someone there that you never met who's is in something creatively that you are or someone the opposite to you um creatively um it's just about fiction really um and like trying to be a bit of a, a central point so that we can gather there's so many creative people anywhere you know it's just trying to be a place where people look to or gather or um, bounce off of so that you can um, create a community well and it's such a beautiful like intimate venue too I remember seeing Jessica Fosterkew, uh perform her her comedy show there and Rob Outen reading poetry and you know, it, it really creates a super warm, wholesome, absolutely lovely environment for, you know, when, when we could gather and, and see shows and those kinds of things. Um, how was it born? How did, how did um, it come into existence? It's a bit of a sort of long plotted history for me because I've grown up with it. I um, was part of a group of friends that um, started the Ventnor Fringe Festival in our town, Ventnor. Um, and that was 11 years ago. And the, the exchange is only six years old. So um, the Vendor Fringe had already been running and it needed somewhere to have a base to work from. We used to organize it like just at home or like in the pub. Um, and um, we were at university then. So we'd come back and meet <laughs> to organize the festival from all around the country. We'd all like, meet up or meet up in London or meet up in wherever was nearest um and which is my friends at university found very strange um, <laughs> um then yeah so that started first and then the exchange is the old post office and it was just a um a building that was empty for quite a long time and it was just no one was going to use it to create it and do anything um and the rent just was the same as any other shop in the high street. So it was like, well, I think we should, you know, have a go at this to try and make um, this kind of cultural space. Um, there was, so we started it when we were sort of 17, um, meeting up, just messing around, not knowing what we were doing at all. First fringe was when I was 18. Um, and then it just has gone from there. So 
um, there were, there's a group of six of us at the beginning um, and everyone's kind of gone and done uh, different um, careers, mostly still within the creative arts, but um, yeah. And then we kind of gather together during the festival every year and some people come back to help just for that. So, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. It's so cool that it was like born, you know, like when you were at such a young age and then it's grown. I didn't know that the Fringe Festival had been running for yeah. that long. That's yeah. um, just amazing to me. <laughs> Thinking of myself at 18, I'm like, I could not have organized Well, anything. yeah, whether we did very much organizing is a kind of point. Um, it's funny when I look back at the way we did things, you know, you just think, oh, I wouldn't, I would never do that now but you have to go through those pain barriers you know you need to have you need to have these experiences so that you've, you've this thing about failing you have to fail things to learn um and I think that yeah a lot of people kind of feel like that sort of feeling like I'd be too scared to do that for some reason we just didn't care about failing we just wanted something to happen on in our town in the Isle of Wight because they're wasn't something for us so we just thought we should create it yeah so it's kind of just seemed necessary I don't yeah. know maybe we were just geeks I don't know <laughs> that's awesome though and it grew into something incredible so definitely you know yeah um, what's your like personal favorite method of creative um, expression I actually I went to um art college um was little I that was what I was gonna do. I was like I'm gonna go to art school and I just knew that's what I, I know like that sounds a bit dramatic but um I had this kind of dream that that's what I was gonna do um and I did but I'm not actually the best disciplined artist um I, I feel quite jealous of people that can create work um because I sort of so my I graduated in drawing so my degree is in drawing um, but I I find it really hard to actually sit down and do art <laughs> um, which is crazy because I'm basically organizing for other people to do it all the time and I'm giving other people their platform and that <laughs> is my way of creative expression I know that sounds a bit weird but I I like connecting people up and putting things together that wouldn't normally and um, the like uh, people, people uh, how crowds interact and communities are created. Um, so a lot of like socially engaged practice is my favorite type of artwork, which is like happenings, things that exist in, in the real world, um, but they don't have a, a look you know they're not normally involved in like aesthetics um they don't always look nice or you know I appreciate artwork that is beautiful I um I don't know I just um I prefer to do this kind of psychological stuff yeah that's really cool you're you're a facilitator you're a platform giver a space holder you know and and uh an experience creator yeah that's what I see as the my social my expression um but 
I do sort of feel like I could do some other artwork at other points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's good to just like have a play, get really messy. Yeah, it's only in the in, only in the past maybe like two, even two years that I found like a style that I actually like. Whereas like before, yeah. like you could see a painting of mine in a drawing and you wouldn't even know they were done by the same person. So I always really admired people who had like a very consistent style. Yeah, felt like, I was like, wow, these, you know, these people know exactly what they want to do. Whereas when I see like a bit of paper, I'm like, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though. You don't have a, you don't have a box you have to fit, fit yeah. in when you create either. Um, yeah, and I'll often start something and then I'll just be like, oh, this is, you know, boring. Um, or someone else has done this, so there's no point. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> I know it's really, really dumb, but um, yeah. I think that's where a lot of people get stopped, though, you know, um, especially in our, you know, now culture of if you're surrounded by art all the time or you're seeing it a lot online, like it's hard to to even get into the vibe where you're like, oh, just make stuff for the sake of making stuff. Like it's so hard to turn off that part of our brains that's like, we need to be good otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it's... I feel like going to art school kind of in a way like gave me too much awareness of it. Um, and if I hadn't, I would have just like, just gone down some alleyway. Whereas instead I'm like, too aware of all these different things that exist in the context and the history and yeah and it just kind of like you go oh what's the point <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have to do like in especially with drawing and stuff where you like put your art up on the wall and then like everybody critiques it yep crits yeah they were fun yeah. <laughs> do you have any funny memories at all from that I, ha I have so many literally I love telling them to people um I think they're really great anecdotes because you kind of go well I went to art school this is what happens and then people go wow that's really what happens um yeah crits were like where you would go and you'd build yourself up and everything would just be torn down and you know you'd have to just just bear it and like deal with it which I actually really liked it was really good and really character building but there were times where people would argue um and where people would create really out there artworks that um, would make offend people, upset people. Um, and experiencing that like on a day-to-day -day basis was quite like jarring, you know, you wouldn't see that in the real world, like people like interacting in that way, but also being like, I paid to be here, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my friend did um, one of his first artworks, he, decided to spend the whole day during the crit just eating um like little gummy bears um he was just eating them watching everyone do their crits and talking about their work ate them, ate them, they kept eating them got to his go and he just um made himself sick all over the floor and then he was like that's my piece and yeah everyone just couldn't handle it <laughs> it was just like no <laughs> uh, yeah like that some next level yeah. performance art there <laughs> I love all that I just think it's it's great to mess with the rules so I think they should be um always so if someone is doing that I'm like yes good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah break break out of the mold a little bit
Yeah, definitely. Are there any like particularly difficult challenges that you've come up against running a business as a woman? Yeah, yeah, all the t- I get it all the time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty aware of it because of my, of me being a feminist and me being quite outspoken about the things that I believe in. Um, but it, it's not just because of that awareness, like it, it does happen a lot to me. So often in my just business, it doesn't matter if I was running any business, but where you're a, you have a, a front facing role, you know, you're talking to people, the public, um, often people will kind of come in and assume that be- I have a business partner who's male, Jack, and uh, we are co-directors, we are equal in our, in the running of this organization but often people will go to him and not assume that I am somebody who runs the business. Um, and it, it's just, it just fathoms me like how many times people just don't want to talk to me about something. They'll always be like, I'll just wait to speak to him or I'd like to speak to, you know, and it's like, I, I can help you, you know, <laughs> I, this is my place as well. Um, or even if my partner's there, um, who is not even involved in the business in any way, if he is there, they will, someone who wants to ask something will often just go straight to him and he'll be like, well, you probably need to ask the boss um, who's, she's right there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I sort of see it quite a lot um, and just being dismissed a lot. It's not it's not really aggression or anything. It's just, it's just being um, seen as, I don't know, it's something just like responsibility or um, that you can't handle it. I don't know, it's odd, yeah. Yeah, it's funny that like deferral to like, it doesn't matter if the men in the room know nothing, yeah. <laughs> they'll still get asked the questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds like it can be, you know, like frustrating to deal with but that you've probably had a lot of practice in having to then insert yourself in those conversations yeah. or <laughs> you'd be like oh no uh right over here <laughs> I'm the one you want to talk to yeah, I, you know I understand that happens sometimes but I just wish it wasn't like every single time it's like I just I'm like come on everyone like locally kind of would know that that that's what I do and like um they just kind of assume that your role isn't as responsible and um so things like for press stuff um often i you know i'll just be kind of not asked about key things because it's assumed that i don't know um and it's like especially if it's due with the fringe festival because i'm the participation manager so i look after all the artists mm-hmm. and the- so i often know a lot about what's going on um and yeah being dismissed on that is just like you're just making it harder for yourself by not speaking to me (laughs) yeah you're just gonna get the information slower and possibly inaccurate if you don't just go straight to the person in charge um I don't know I don't know if that's just me being a bit I don't know over dramatic about it but that's my experience (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard when it happens a lot to not be then like extra sensitive and like pick up on it even more, you know, 
Um, Cause yeah, then you start to take stock of it and you start to notice it. And then you see patterns emerge. And it's just like, you just want to shake the yeah. whole world and just be like, why is it like this? Yeah. And this, this whole thing about, um, yeah, it just kind of reminded me about the kind of being bossy thing about the females uh, being branded as being bossy women. And um, it's like, in events you have to be you you have to be like um to delegate you have to be really strict about certain things um not to be mean just to be like this has to be like this this has to be like this. and that you know i'm only just in the last couple of years really coming to terms with the fact that um i don't care what people think about that anymore um a lot through my adolescence because obviously i grew up doing it um it took me a while to kind of form my character with it and i would often just let people kind of just walk, walk all over me um because i want to keep everyone happy and actually you just can't do that but you will be branded as being like bossy being harpy being stressy uh sort of kind of this pmt jokes and and things like that and i just don't think we have a male equivalent for that you wouldn't be saying oh he's very bossy they would just say oh, they're the boss, you know? <laughs> um, so working in um, events side of it, um, I'm just kind of coming to terms with the fact that I am, and that's fine. Um, and that actually I need to do these things to get my job done and um, not to worry too much about how I'm seen because um, often people will remember if you've done a good job and if you have been assertive in a situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, that rapid decision-making and, you know, uh, I was just saying, and actually the, the last episode that I recorded, you know, like, I don't care about being nice. I care yeah. about being kind, but niceness yes. and politeness often don't, always come up like they just don't get you very far when you need things and you have boundaries and you you know like need things to be a certain way so yeah yeah with this thing about boundaries like it's really important to remember what they are and not to let people because once you let people in that you know then it's really hard to stop them from doing it and um i'm talking a kind of a work uh situation but in other parts of your life it's um yeah sticking to those boundaries is like really important yeah definitely are there any challenges you've come up in terms of navigating your own wellness amongst all of the all of the chaos of running businesses and festivals and existing in the world yeah I, I put quite a lot of pressure on myself um because of all of these demands um kind of like what you were saying about oh you know it's really cool that you've been doing that from you know quite a young age and it is really cool but it's also it's quite a lot of stress and it's quite a lot of um pressure on myself to do well that I I put on myself <laughs> and no one else is doing it you know I created it for myself um and it's after over a long period of time it does start to affect you um because people think that you're you're just doing it and you're fine and actually there's a lot of complex stuff that goes on behind the scenes of it and you always have to have a bit of a face on 
um, when I'm normally in my public facing role, I do have to have a face on. And then that's kind of manifested slowly over time, kind of creating bits of social anxiety. And um, yeah, that's quite difficult to deal with. And also just my body not responding well to the stress. Because if you do it for long enough, your body just was like, what are you doing? Like, you need to stop now. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of coming to terms with that and uh, trying to slow down a bit. Yeah, what do you what do you take how do you take care of yourself in times when you're feeling really stressed or overwhelmed? Um I think the first step is like being aware of it. Um I spent a long time like just ignoring it and um I think I like to be as soon as I know like a kind of anxiety or any like panic attacks um kind of are coming like uh, induced by all of these responsibilities like I will be kind of like aware of it and be like everything stop let's just deal with this now um, whereas I wouldn't even do that before so I think that's the first step and then I do I do loads of like self-care like what people call the self-care things you know I I do all the time I'm actually pretty good at um, relaxing um, it's just, <laughs> really good at working myself stupid so I just need to like find a bit more of a balance if you know what I mean I would just like um I'm not an absolute workaholic I'm not like someone who's just um obsessed um although some people might think I am um but I am really good at relaxing as well um it's just I should probably do it a little bit more <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds like you kind of got like full on and full off <laughs> literally I'll just be like let's do everything let's organize it let's do all these big ideas and then I'll just be like at home like I'm not speaking to anyone and I'm just having Epsom salt baths and I'm gonna go swimming in the sea and then I'm gonna um go on long walks on my own just like yeah <laughs> so yeah good I mean it's it's good to be able to you know like shut off from everything when you need to do you find that you kind of have like a like a work persona and a home persona? Yeah, definitely. But I, I'm trying to be a bit more uh, real with my public facing stuff. But it's sometimes hard to because people can't handle it. Sometimes you know, like I, love to, I do actually really like to talk about my feelings a lot. Um, I wear my heart on my sleeve and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I don't know used to find but I, if I start talking to people about that some people just don't know what to do <laughs> they're just like yeah <laughs> and some are great and some people just kind of go oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they don't know how to like respond it's like it's okay you don't need to respond I'm just like just being making you aware of this you know yeah one of my favorite like Britishisms is that you know like everybody says you're all right all the time and it's it's funny because in Canada like we say like how are you but we don't necessarily expect a response and someone people say you're all right and you're like no yeah they're like wait what yeah. <laughs> like can't quite process <laughs> like no I'm not all right I'm not okay at all <laughs> and they're, um, you know they kind of uh, it takes a second to shut down or there's certain people that like they don't have those conversations in their normal everyday life 
So it's, you know, they don't know how to really process it or function or respond. And, but it's interesting, like the more that I think we have those conversations, the easier they are for us to have and to recognize in other people. So it's good that you're sharing, even if you get met with a like, oh, that's a lot. Yeah, that's often, yeah, that's what we get is, um, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to like fix it or anything. I'm just telling you because then if you want to tell me something, then that's cool. We can exchange that. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a process. So yeah. Creating spaces in all kinds of ways. Yeah. (laughs) Um, can you tell us a little bit, I know we've spoken briefly and like, you know, we can kind of ease into this a little bit, but, um, you were going through the process of being diagnosed for endo, endometriosis. And can you tell me a little bit about that whole thing that you've been going through as a human being? Yeah, that's been kind of in terms of wellness, that's been like one of the things that's affecting me. Um, I don't have it confirmed uh, endometriosis because the only way you can be diagnosed with it is you have to have um, a laparoscopy which is a test where they basically look inside um, into your ovaries and um, surrounding areas and they look for the tissue um, and if it's there they take it away Um, which is kind of crazy if you think about it so it's like you basically have to have a surgery to you know it's a small it's classed as a small surgery but you have to have that to um, then have you know treatment or have it set so I don't really know um, exactly what's wrong with me Um, but I am sort of kind of under the care of like a lot of these kind of like reproductive health stuff so anything to do with like um, yeah ovaries womb um, and yeah it's really hard to navigate the healthcare system to try and figure out what's going on <laughs> it's uh it's doing my head in basically <laughs> yeah can I ask what you're like when you first brought your concerns to your GP kind of like what the reaction was or like what you were met with yeah I actually um I think it's kind of yeah even though I don't know what's fully going on I think it's an important thing to talk about because it's something this kind of women's health um it affects quite a lot of people and it's like something that is still seen as a little bit of a taboo and people don't feel like they should go and get it checked out or how to get it checked out. I was just having kind of abdomen pains um, and getting very tired. Um, I thought I was just run down at first. I thought it was from my, my job, from my lifestyle. Um, I thought, oh, I'm just really run down. I keep falling asleep everywhere. Uh, I thought I had low iron at one point, just things like that. And actually, I just kept going back um, and they were sort of saying, oh, we think you've just got like a UTI. Um, but every time I would do a test, they'd say there's there's no UTI, but you can still take the um, uh, um, antibiotics for it. Um, and then as soon as I kind of said about a certain pain, they were like, oh, you know, um, if you've got pain in your abdomen, we think it could be something you should have an ultrasound for. And I was like, okay. And 
did that and then they basically tried to diagnose me based on an ultrasound um which actually doesn't it can't show full results for endometriosis which is the tissue um so yeah it's it's been a bit of a battle trying to figure out what's true <laughs> yeah um so they sort of said you've got this um and now i'm seeing a specialist and they're saying well we don't know <laughs> um and i just find yeah a lot of going through it there's just no bedside manner whatsoever um it's just dismissed like just got this deal with it take some painkillers um because there's no cure for it um but yeah i'm just still searching still searching for some answers and some somebody with some bedside manners yeah i think that must be one of the hardest things is that you know um the dismissiveness i was just listening to um bbc radio 4 had the program on um endometriosis specifically which was really cool because they were talking about the fact that like you know it's only in the past little while that it's even been okay to talk about period pain in the first place never mind like period pain that stops you from going to school and going to work and all of those kinds of things yeah um and one of the conversations they were having a lot was exactly that that you know um it's so difficult to get a diagnosis especially if your gp at the start is just like you know it's probably yeah. nothing <laughs> it's probably just pms you're fine yeah <laughs> and then yeah. you doubt yourself too you doubt your own symptoms you're like oh like is this just what everyone goes through and you know um I was saying like I often through this whole I'm still doing it now just going I'm not I don't deserve this care as much as someone else because someone else is like on the floor in pain on you know morphine um because some women do have that experience with it and um I'm part of a few support groups that kind of people talking about how they can't even get up you know and I just kind of, you kind of go, well, I'm not like that. So, and then you kind of remember all these things it affects in your life. And then you're like, no, no, I, this is a really, this is a real thing. But because of the way, like you, you say, like um, mainstream society and like the way that like, because you really need a specialist to kind of deal with it. Um, and it's only kind of been in, it's more being more aware of um, by all healthcare practitioners within like kind of last 15 to 20 years that it's it can just be kind of swept under the rug and like people just kind of deal with it but they don't deal with it if you know what I mean yeah they just suffer in silence because the conversation isn't being had in the first place so when I was younger I was kind of the same that this thing about um heavy periods and uh, I would um faint at school quite a lot or have to take off school um which are kind of telltale signs um and yeah if I went to the doctor then because it was really bothering me and they're just like oh you're just one of the lucky ones <laughs> who get you get special you know like you've got a special womb that does like extra stuff for you and it's like but what is it doing please tell me <laughs> yeah how did you find like the um especially like UK, like sex health, like how, how did that, did that give you any information to kind of cope with? I mean, I don't think they really knew anything about endo or like the different 
like about the cycle in the first place. I don't know. I don't know what the education was like there. I just know from like my experience, mm. like it didn't even explain anything really. I am. Um, I had a bit of a weird um, experience with all the sexual education at school because um, strangely at my school, we used to do a thing called a peer mentoring uh, for sex ed. So what we would do is if you were in, year 11 so you would or maybe it was year 12 if you were sort of 17 you could go on a course and learn how to teach the year nines their sex education so that it was taught by people that were only a couple of years older um to take away that kind of awkward teacher thing like the teachers, their teacher would be there and then you'd come in and you'd be like, hey, we're going to talk about this today. And um, I, I don't know how useful it was for like the people younger than us, but I found it so helpful doing that training because we learned so much for us, if that makes sense. Um, but that's even too late, you know, 17, 18. That's like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I was kind of going, wow wish I'd kind of known this you know um and a lot of it was to do with con the contraception so um just yeah learning about how all the hormones and everything affects you and you're right like I don't I still don't think I was aware of like how your cycles affected and um anything like that until like the last few years because of going down this road I'm more aware of like how my body works now than I've ever been before. Yeah, it's interesting that you had like an, an intensive basically like sex education. Um, and even then, like it doesn't, it doesn't cover everything, right? Like there's still so much to learn about how our bodies work. And it's, I think it is, a, I mean, I don't know if we have the tools to really like absorb it and understand it when we're younger, but it is a shame that it takes, you know, I mean, I'm now like 15, maybe 18 years menstruating and I'm only just learning, <laughs> only just starting the process of learning how my cycle actually affects how I exist in the world. Um, yeah. But I'm grateful that that knowledge is out there and that there are teachers. Have you, I talk about this book all the time, but have you read Period Power by Maisie Hill? No, but I feel like I should. It's incredible. It is really good. It really, really breaks down um, everything from, you know, just uh, the cycles that your hormones go through and covers a little bit of endo and PCOS. Um, and then even all the way into like menopause and stuff like that, because that's something we don't talk about either. You know, I don't think I've ever heard any of the any of the older women in my life talk about anything more than hot flashes. So it's a whole process it's like everything in opposite you know of the puberty that you go through it's, it's quite a big part of your life you know and then that happens again again but the reverse it's like it's crazy um yeah it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow it's a lot. Like, yeah. because yeah one of the options for me was um 
uh, once they find out what's wrong, they're like, oh, well, you need to have um, the marina coil fit. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to have a coil fit. And they were like, well, the other option is you can have a hysterectomy, but then you'll have like an induced menopause now. And it's like, I don't want to do that when I'm 30. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's just how people just say that to you. Like, it's like, a, well, you could just do that. And I'm like, um, maybe not. <laughs> do I have any other options? Like... <laughs> Would you have wanted Other somebody? Options, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Would you have wanted somebody with you who maybe like wasn't a doctor to help navigate all of this learning? Yeah, definitely. I'm made to feel like I'm quite stupid quite a lot of the time. Um, and so, for instance, like I bring lists and I often record my appointments and things because I get too emotional. And that's a tool for me um, and often and, um, my only specialist is fine with that but before I sort of went to a, a gynae like locally and they, I said brought this list of all my symptoms and she sort of went oh I see you've brought a list you know like kind of as if like eye roll you know oh, I don't want to have to and it's like <laughs> when you just met with that at your first you know thing you're like this isn't gonna we're not gonna see eye to eye on this um, like, sorry to inconvenience you but I'm in pain <laughs> yeah exactly I feel like that um and obviously at the moment you're not allowed to bring anyone into your appointments anyway because of covid which is you know understandable um but I I wish I could because I get so anxious um and I often think I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm not going to take information in. Mm. Yeah, it's a little nerve wracking to be met with, you know, not, it's like passive aggressive hostility, like, <laughs> and it's, it's so difficult because then you're like, oh, well, like, are you telling me everything? Am I asking the right questions? Um, yeah, and, what, and, what am I supposed to do? How do I, yeah, navigate? this tell me <laughs> yeah um but yeah yeah it's um it's definitely like listening to the bbc radio 4 program it was um interesting them talking about like there aren't enough doctors that know anything about it if enough about it there aren't enough surgeons who are able to do the surgery because the how did you pronounce it? Laparoscopy. But laparoscopy. Yeah. Yeah. There's you, you, many people are trained to do it. It's just whether you will have, so, so I've, I'm part of a few support groups, which does help, but obviously you can't go for medical advice, but you can go like, I've had this experience. Have you had it too? Can we like relate? And people have had experiences where they've had that, that, uh, test um that surgery and then the what they find is not dealt with in the correct manner so like um they'll often not have the tissue removed properly or not even removed or um it's done uh not to the right standard or like yeah so like it can it's a it's very open to a lot of um there's a bit of kind of a controversy about that um and whether yeah that's why it was all in parliament a couple of weeks ago because basically people were just like 
we need more people to know about this and that more people are trained properly and that it's just put in as like a normal um because in fact like oh, it's something crazy like one in five women or something um as like this is a condition that in fact affects like a lot of people um and let's not keep pretending that it's like some taboo thing that just happens on behind closed doors you know so yeah yeah and being like oh actually i can't come to work today because my endometriosis instead of being like people being like what well, you can't come to work because of your period it's like no this is not the same thing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, like having these sick days or anything like that, because, you know, like either, you know, your energy levels are low, you're in pain, or like you were saying, like for a lot of people with periods and with endo in general, like they have days where you can't move. (laughs) Yeah, they're just flawed, you know. Um, It's like having like ME or like fibromyalgia or something like you know all these kind of what we call the invisible illnesses um yeah that's the problem yeah yeah it's interesting how society views um you know like menstruation in the first place and people with periods and how like that's all you know under the rug behind closed doors um and then how that starts to affect you know even just the the training the knowledge and the accessible information about anything yeah. to do with a uterus, basically. Yeah, that's why I really like um, my new doctor, who is male, but like has written books about it, has, does conferences about it, is like the specialist on this. And I'm like, I love the fact that you have given your life to this as your calling to basically bring that more to the um the surface and to find out more about it and I'm like I really respect that um I don't mind that I don't you know have because people are very specific like, I want female doctor and stuff like that it's like no I actually trust that this person it doesn't matter what their gender is at this point is that that they are actually just interested to find out more about how this part of a body works you know yeah instead of just yeah. being like you <laughs> instead of being like wow it's an amazing thing look at this how this piece of body works you know it does all this stuff um yeah I'm telling you what you're one of the special ones when you're like oh great thanks yeah <laughs> yeah and I I don't I over the last few years I've become very much kind of um trying to be part of that breaking down to do periods like I really love um any people that are doing that um people that make art about it um people who I don't know just making it known that like you know we bleed and um that it's not always an awful thing um and it's weird that it's not it's still slightly taboo because like all women do it I don't get it it's just like half the world does it it's so weird like there's so many people with periods out there that like why is it even still weird to talk about you know um yeah like people like 
sorry. Yeah. No, you go, you go. I was just going to ask, um, is it okay to ask like what kind of symptoms you were experiencing and kind of how long they had gone on before you were like, okay, this is something I need to go see a specialist um, about. Yeah. So it just started, it was like, um, feeling like run down, like not being like being a kind of bit of a ghost of yourself and being very tired, um, no energy. And then my stomach's really affected by it. So I sort of have like IBS, um, what you would call uh, irritable bowel syndrome uh, symptoms, um, but it doesn't really matter what I eat. So I've sort of been having tests for that as well. And it, apparently my stomach is normal. So it must be from the other stuff. Um, you also have like, I have like a tender pain, uh, like an abdomen pain, which is like basically constantly there. And you can't really make it go away. Like you can take painkillers like a lot, but it's, um, I don't really like kind of living on them. So yeah, a lot of people use like heat pads or things like that. Um, yeah, if basically I, if I wasn't on the pill, I would have really strong, like really heavy periods and a lot of pain. The, uh, the combined pill actually kind of is stopping a lot of my symptoms strangely, but it's also creating problems for me in terms of my hormones. So I get really, really bad PM, PMS, PMT, whatever. Um, so it's literally to the point where I literally thought I was going crazy. Um, and it's, that's also a little, a thing that people don't, are not really as aware of. Um, because I was like, oh, this always keeps happening about the same time of the month. Because <laughs> um, I was like, oh, maybe I'm like, you know, maybe I'm bipolar or maybe I've got depression or, you know, um, or anxiety. I do have anxiety as well, but like, I was like, this is really strong. Like you get like really strong feelings of like self-loathing and things like that. Um, and you feel like you can't do anything and that you there's no point and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, it can be really debilitating and kind of physical and mental, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot to cope with and to navigate through. And um, yeah, like like you're saying, like the side effects of, you know, like using painkillers long-term, not great. But, yeah. um, messing about with your hormones, not always great. You know, like has, has a huge downside to it. It's like, yeah, I can manage my symptoms, but like my emotional health is gonna absolutely yeah. plummet. So um, do you have like a good support network in terms of, you know, like that side of things? Does, is that something that like your endo support groups um, kind of, is that something you get to talk about, I guess, is like the mental aspect of it as well? Yeah, it's really good. Like um, there's, there's some really funny ones as, as well. Like um, there's one where people just moan about the really disgusting, stupid stuff that happens, but making fun of it and that can be really empowering. Um, so like, especially stuff to do with like stomach issues that just really like still also like something that you don't really um, talk about in polite company and stuff. And I think, yeah, I love the kind of places where people just go, this happened to me today. And like, that's really, you know, and everyone's just like, oh yeah, man. Um, but 
yeah like family and friends has all been good and I just stay really truthful and honest about it and some people do find it hard to um kind of take that in because they're like well, what what what's that you know <laughs> um but I think I just want to be part of that conversation of being like let's be open about it um no matter even if I don't know what it is like I I still feel like there are loads of people I know affected by it as well um and I think people should be able to talk about that <laughs> yeah definitely just even making it more of a conversation in the first place yeah and I, I do get some people kind of recoil at the, you know if you start talking about it but I'm like no this is part of the problem I need to we need to normalize this um, so I will carry on <laughs> I think like I find that really strong in it and um, you know like uh, contagious uh, empowering as well because sometimes those difficult like those conversations are really difficult to have what especially yeah. when people put a wall up and they're like oh no you know and then you to sit there and be like no like we need to talk about this like why does that make you uncomfortable yeah <laughs> like, you know um, and I think especially like, especially for people who don't have periods, like they tend to stay out of those conversations. And that's why we're in the yeah. position that we're in is because, yeah. you know, they've been spent so long with their hands over their ears that, <laughs> you know, the, the research is only like, you're saying like 15, 20 years old, like it's yeah. only, and people have been dealing with this for so long. So it's, um, I really appreciate you having those difficult conversations because I know it takes a lot of energy and it's not always easy. Yeah, I always sometimes like I just need to to be able to show why I can't do something. I'm like, you know, I'm not just going to be like mysterious about it. I'm going to be like, this is what's happening to me. So this is why I can't maybe do this today, but I'll do it tomorrow or I'll maybe be okay. Um, and actually I have to say like a lot of the men in my life like are um been very understanding about it because they want to know more about it really um if they can find someone that will talk them about that sort of stuff like they they genuinely like my friends and my partner have been like just amazing like trying to understand these things so yeah it's not all lost <laughs> yeah that's good is there anything that you wish you could tell yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, that's a very hard question. Yeah, that's uh, a tricky one. I'd probably just tell myself to chill out a little bit and you, everything they want to do could you don't have to just do right now because you've kind of got your whole life to do it. Um, I, I really love, um, people share these memes about all these famous people that have achieved things later on in their life. And they're like, oh, um, this actor only became famous when he was 40 and this person invented this when they were 60. And, like, and I, I love that, like this kind of um, trying to push forward the fact that like your life doesn't, end at a certain point or you don't have certain stages of your life because society deems that you must 
within these periods do this 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 and this um so yeah I would have probably looking back I'd probably be like um don't push yourself so hard because you can got lots of time that's really nice like you don't have to rush everything all at once just experience things just let things be yeah Yeah. doing that now (laughs) yeah uh, it's it definitely takes some time to like gain that um awareness I think and even still like I still get moments like this morning um I don't know if you follow Florence Given at all, but she's just this incredibly sex positive. She's written a book called uh, Women Don't Know You Pretty. And it's incredible. It's like the the new feminist Bible, basically. (laughs) For, you know, like if I could go back to myself at like 15 years old and give myself that book, I would. Um, And she's, you know, she's just doing incredible things for the world and that kind of sense of things and then I find out that she's 21 and I'm like oh wow (laughs) and you know it's I don't know why I have that reaction because I'm like I'm doing cool things like I'm fine it's great but you know you see that and it's like holy smokes like I just wish that I had that awareness yeah like to be that wise to yeah kind of I don't know, like having the um, the confidence to just be like, I'm going to tell people this stuff at that age. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. But I like, I like your reflection on that because it, it grounds me a little bit. It's like, yeah, like you've got your whole rest of existence to, to do all the things. Yeah. I, I really do believe in that. Um, yeah as you get older you don't just like stop doing stuff you know um most of my favorite people are like that (laughs) um and yeah age doesn't mean anything that's what I'm trying to say it's like I have so many friends that are really different ages to me and I think it's just wonderful um I think I hate these kind of really strict boxes that people put people into um, and the pressures people put on each other for themselves to achieve things by certain times in their life, ages in their life. It's just, it doesn't, it's just made up. Yeah, as if we needed additional stressors. Yeah. When do you feel like the most full version of yourself? I, um, it's normally when I'm running an event. So I am normally at my highest stress level, but I am at my most, um, I don't know what you call it, like your acute awareness, like your, like bling like I'm here (laughs) you're just really present when you're um creating something that's happening at that moment you know um and there's a lot of people involved I love that I just love bouncing off all like people's um I'm I'm like a sponge like I kind of soak up people's moods and stuff so I get real adrenaline rush like off of 
doing uh, that kind of work. Um, so a lot of people get adrenaline off doing like um, basically just like recreational drug taking or like going uh, doing like extreme sports and things like that. But I get my most adrenaline from like people um, and kind of creating events because you're like, wow, this is really happening right now. And like everyone's like um, experiencing this and they're vibing off it and they're having a different response to it. And then you get take that in and then it's just so exciting and everything could go wrong at any moment. And yeah, that kind of risk is like, um, that's when I'm sort of most alive um, and I can be my confident self because I was a bit shy when I was younger and doing this sort of works actually brought me out of my shyness. I was, I literally was so shy, like as a child. Um, and a lot of the time I kind of look back and I go, I don't really know who, like I'm very different now to what I was then. And, but when I'm actually in the midst of that, that's when I'm like my good confident self. Um, so yeah, but it's really hard to keep up that like, cause I have a crash after that. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of know you're going to be, you know, like whole for so long and full on and then need a need a plummet after. <laughs> but it's worth it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm, peaks and peaks and valleys and mountains and rivers and all that kind of good stuff, you know. But to, you know, it's like this whole thing about like, you know, if it's never dark, then you'll never know the light. And if you if you don't have the sad times you don't know when you're going to be happy and yeah everything is peaks and troughs like you've uh, if everything was flat and what we call content not it's not happiness it's contentment you would just you don't have any variety mm. um and I need that um I need a lot of out uh, what do you call it like kind of stimulus yeah yeah oh, I love your passion and your drive for creating experiences for people oh. it's great <laughs> can I ask kind of like what that looks like I know like everything's a little bit chaotic what's it looking like for Ventnor Exchange for Fringe and everything at the moment I know that's a big question and Oh, it's probably changes every day but that's a good point because it's a lot of this stuff hasn't been able to happen um and won't for a while um I think we are looking to still run fringe next year but it would be very different um I think actually a lot of field festivals might struggle to uh run because I kind of didn't make it clear but like our fringe festivals all around the town so it uses little venues that already exist it's not just like a field with tents it's like in churches and um pop-up spaces in the pubs and you know it's in places that exist in the real world so I actually think it might be a little I don't know but I feel like it might be easier to kind of apply a lot of these social distancing um, restrictions and things maybe just doing more show more shows and then less uh, capacity um, essentially we, we, if we can make it go ahead in any way possible that can still be financially viable for us um, and won't hurt you know because if it doesn't go well it could really hurt um, our organization but 
if it could go ahead, I think people were crying out, would be crying out for it by then, you know, in the summer. Um, a lot of people are asking us when we're going to do shows again. And we're like, people really want to go and have these, like they value them now that it's been taken away. Mm. And um, they're like, oh no, I don't want to lose this. Why, where can I have it back? So we can't do any sort of stuff at the moment, but we are doing like virtual um, stuff in terms of, we have like a youth opportunities platform called Brave Island. Um, which is kind of separate. Um, it's it's not events per se, but it's just kind of opportunities for people 14 to 25 in the creative industries, um, which people sign up to, whatever they want to do, they can sign up to. Um, and that's just kind of us also looking back to what we would have liked when we were that age. So we were doing like kind of one-to-one -one mentorship where we find someone in a certain field and we say, would you meet up for coffee with um, a young person? And then they bit, they kind of sign up for it um, and say why Ooh. they want to do it. And then they get like the most out of that experience that they can. Um, we were doing that in person and now we're in lockdown again. So we will go, we, you know, everything we can, we can make it virtual, but there is so much better being in person, you know? Um, the connection is just like especially for these young people on the, who are like got nothing to do at the moment um in our local area they're the people that have fallen through the cracks you know like people that are just finishing university or about to go it's crazy like people just aren't thinking about you know what these these people are doing um and they just need a little bit of hope i think yeah so we're carrying on doing that, but I can't wait to, you know, be able to, when it's safe to, to do gathering again, because I just, I think it's really important. Um, people being near to other people. Yeah. Um, and I understand like why all the restrictions are there. I just, yeah, I just think um, over a long period of time, it could be damaging. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's worth acknowledging, you know, like everything is helping us be safe, helping us, you know, like do all those things. But yeah, to acknowledge that, you know, it is a grief for all the things that either haven't happened or have had to happen differently. Um, There's grief you know, for not gathering. There's grief for not touching. Um, yeah. So like, for instance, like we had like a choir, um, which was mostly attended by like older people in the community. And um, mm. that might be like somebody's only like social thing. And it just seems like a silly little thing. Oh, it's just, you know, it's the little choir thing, but it's like, it's actually really important for people like to do an activity together. Things like dancing together and singing together um, are really, really good for you. And um, I could literally go on browse about like, you know, the benefits of it and having that taken away it does affect some people quite a lot um yeah it's just worth acknowledging that it's it's difficult in ways that we didn't anticipate you know yeah are you singing and dancing on your own at all trying to yeah um yeah I'm normally a Morris dancer so that's um normally in a group of lots of people or two other lot lots of people um 
and we're all we're all very close like we're kind of like a family and that's been quite hard as well not being able to do that um so yeah just can't wait to do that with other people <laughs> um I'll let you do a little bit of a plug. Where can people find everything about the Ventner Exchange and keep an eye for when things start to happen again or things that are happening online? That is a really good point. So um, ventnerexchange.co.uk um, and we are on all the socials. I suppose we're mostly active on like Instagram and, and Twitter. You know, we, we have all of them. Um, and we do like a lot like our other outputs so like we will do like interviews with creators and things like that if you're not in the area like there are ways you can still engage if you're not like in the immediate area um but yeah the events will be on there and with the ventna fringe it's the same so it's vfringe.co.uk but you can just search ventna fringe which is v-e-n-t-o-r um and it will be taking place in July, hopefully. Fingers crossed. End yeah, of July. Knocking on all the woods. Yeah. Cool. Well, I just want to be like just so grateful and thankful to actually get to speak to you about all things that aren't just, you know, me running to you being like, where do I need to go for this event? <laughs> so <laughs> that's really great. And I'm just so grateful for your time and for sharing your experiences about going through, you know, like some heavy healthcare stuff as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for asking me to be um, on your podcast because I had listened to it. I was listening to it in lockdown uh, the first time when everything was like really bleak. And because um, I saw you we were on Spotify and I was like, oh yeah, I could listen to that. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated like having um, from a voice that I could um, really like understand and felt like was on the the like on the level you know where you just feel like safe and like um, that you kind of get it you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have the space to be honest and have someone actually understand and you know yeah and listening to something and going like oh yeah wow that's you know same or yeah so um I really appreciate that so yeah thanks for all your creative work Aww, that makes my heart just absolutely sore Thank you so much Thank all right you. cheers bye, bye. bye. <laughs> just for a little bit of added context the vent exchange is the first place that I ever distributed the grown pain zine issue one back in 2018 it's also the first place that I did a reading of my kids' book, uh, Bear's Pack. It's the first place that I did a workshop um, about drawing the femens. That was at the Ventner Fringe Festival. And it's just been this really uh, little incubator for artistic people, creative people on the island. Um, and in the UK in general. So I'm really grateful to Valerie and Jack, who, who run the Ventner Exchange. I'm grateful that they started the Fringe Festival when they were 17. Um, and it, it's just, it just makes my heart really full to know that these spaces exist, they're gonna continue to exist, and that the creatives are always gonna find a way to keep creating 
and holding space for those creatives. If you liked this episode, it's super helpful to just share it with one other person. Leaving a review on somewhere like Apple Podcasts can also be really handy. It just helps new people find the podcast. Um, But even if you just liked one part of it, like to share that part. um, And it just means a lot to me that we're creating this, this own creative community here. This community that can hold space for each other, that can have honest and open and vulnerable conversations where we can ask the big questions and just help everybody feel a little bit more okay and a lot less alone. Stay weird and wonderful. Until next time.